0: welcome to the legendarium green team i'm your host kip tan and with me today are befuddled panda hi yeti beats hello hello and mr anderson hello today we're going to be discussing the final volume of saga chapters 37 through 54. this was quite the ride I didn't know what I was agreeing to when I agreed to host this episode, but here I am, so I'll give it my best shot. Warning up front, Volume 8 is, well, spoilers for the final bit of saga, Volume 8 is entirely about abortion. And so we're going to have to discuss that. We're going to do our best to remain tactful and not get into any issues of current politics, but there's no getting around this topic in this chapter. So... We'll get there when we get there. We're gonna try our best, okay? Sounds good. Okay. With that out of the way, what was everybody's opinion of this last arc? Panda?
1: There was definitely a lot of stuff in there that I've forgotten, but going into it, I knew that at the end of Volume 9, Marco was gonna die, or at least appear dead because, you know, we don't necessarily get to see what happens after. Sometimes people look dead and they aren't actually. So who knows? But he he got punched through the, the chest. So I'm assuming he's, he's dead. pretty dead.
0: He's gone. With a mutilated metal hand.
1: Yes. Yes. And I didn't cry throughout reading the series. I didn't cry the first time I read it. Through, but the, the first time, like when Marco, when I read about Marco dying, it I was like gasping. Like, oh my goodness, how can you kill off like one of your main characters so i mean this time around i knew what was coming so the impact wasn't as big but then there were other things that i forgotten and i was like oh yeah oh no <laughs> so robot getting his head torn off is one of those
0: yeah, yeah we'll get there yeah yeah yeti how about you what were your general impressions of this final arc Generally, I would say
2: I was kind of reading it for the second time or third, maybe. It just really felt like an end. I know this is the ninth volume out of maybe 20 or something like that. But this definitely felt like an an end of something. If this is the halfway point, that makes total sense. Like by the end of volume nine, I was like, there is like a complete arc for a lot of things. Not Hazel, but like it just felt like an ending point. And I was kind of exhausted, to be honest with you. I think we read these in two weeks-ish, maybe. And I'm like, spent. I'm like, happy. <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, I'm good. I can wait till volume 10 comes out in October. I think I was telling, saying before we started that, you know, volume seven and eight felt very uh, on the nose for, as you said uh, at the top of this episode, of certain subjects. It was very non-subtle, I'd say. Not that Saga's ever subtle, but these were definitely not subtle. And then it led into Volume 9, which just um, I generally felt kind of was like everything less, I guess, political, but more emotional. I thought things were going fast before. <laughs> yeah, Volume 9 was like on speed. The amount of things that happened in like the last three <laughs> volumes and to characters, it was it was almost hard to kind of react and like... I don't want to be spoilers, but to, yeah, just to react to what happened, because one thing after the next, and then it culminated into the last page, and you're just like, it was just stunned silence, and to Panda's point, I cried every time I've read this series, uh, and I'll talk about it when we get to volume nine, but that there's so many things I, I love about that last uh, volume. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a stand for this series. You'll get no qualms from me uh, out of this.
1: Okay.
0: Mr. Anderson, how about you? It felt like this book, these three volumes, kind of took a
3: turn. Like, I'd never call Saga, like, a slapstick comedy or anything. But these did feel kind of, like, darker than what we'd been reading before. I don't know if it was just me or what, but it... Or the pages of Black Panel. We lost a lot of fun characters, this, these three. <laughs> Some of which have been, you know, discussed. But, like, Isabel,
0: Uh, Sweet Boy? Sweet boy.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: He got made into a rug. That's
3: sad.
0: Yep.
2: And we even lost characters who didn't die, but I'd say morally they're gone. <laughs> There's
3: well, kind of nothing oh, back.
0: And we lost the photographer. What's his name? Mm-hmm. Rof, Duff. Ruff? Ruff? Doff. Doff. Loved him.
3: I think that photographer, what's his name is an excellent character summary. So, <laughs> Hey.
0: <laughs> I always want to call both of them Upsham. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, you know, I guess writers get their byline first and mm, it's yep. stuck, they do it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Screw over the photographer husbands. <laughs> As for myself, yeah, I really enjoyed this arc. I thought it was one of the, the strongest. After the initial three, this final three was my favorite. I think that volume seven, a little bit weak. Volume eight, very strong. Volume nine, incredibly strong. yeah
2: i think they felt darker to like what mr anderson said because they were kind of each one like you said was kind of centered on these main dark kind of themes i don't know if you agree but
0: the moment when alana loses her son that Mm -hmm. was and and they Mm -hmm. can no longer hear the heartbeat Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. so sad so dark well we'll get there do we want to go in order
1: sure let's do it
0: okay Let's go to the start of this tale, Fang, where our fugitives are hiding out on an abandoned moon. Mm -hmm. Our rogue planet.
2: Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was a planet or moon.
0: I'm still not entirely clear on the astronomy of this world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, aren't they on the comet? Oh, you're talking about the very beginning.
0: Yeah, Fang is a comet. You're right about that. But it yeah. it seems to go through a number of systems at a speed which maybe comets wouldn't normally go. So there seem to be just like planets and stars scattered around the universe <laughs> at, at a roughly equal ratio. It seems. I was waiting. <laughs> also, there's half planet things. Yes, also there's half planet things. I was waiting for
2: a hard sci-fi kip to emerge <laughs> and, uh, into the world of. <laughs>
0: look comets don't look like that but if they did fine but they definitely don't travel that fast (laughs) travel in this universe is something that just kind of happens and i just kind of have to accept it it's fine yes yes you do and they run out of fuel exactly when they need to run out of fuel (laughs) well otherwise the plot couldn't happen so yeah otherwise the plot couldn't happen and even though Fang is made of fuel, they still needed to go find fuel because they just, like, have they never played Oregon Trail? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> They'd be much better prepared if they did.
2: Not sure that's in this world. So when we get to Volume 8, they do make a pop culture reference that really, I do have a big complaint about that.
0: <laughs> I'm really just wondering how you stretch, like, two weeks of refueling time into six months without someone getting annoyed about the budget before that point
1: <laughs> the budget what are you talking about they're, they're
0: like energy expenditure budget oh because the whole reason they went to fang was to refuel but they didn't end up getting any fuel from the planet itself
1: no they did they did yeah.
0: they just kept using it for yeah. amenities <laughs> No, family. They, they got no net <laughs> feed, amount of fuel the from the planet itself. Where they got it from was from another ship that they took it from. I think. Okay, right. can we in, in the just end,
1: can we just back up a sec? um Yeah, <laughs> I think we do need to just like give a quick recap of Volume Seven before we dive into the details.
0: Okay,
2: I can run down real quick. All right, so as Kip said, we're on Fang. It's like a war-torn comet uh, that leaves a ton of refugees around because of the war robot alana marco hazel petri and isabel they're all on the, the comet and then on another portion sophie gwen and lion cat are living with gwen's wife i suppose she's married and uh-huh. sophie kind of wants to be an apprentice to the will or just to be a freelancer our family our main heroes meet rodent refugees they're very adorable uh, they also need fuel but they end up staying like kip said for six months Uh, The Will is still fat, and he's looking for a lion cat, going around looking. He wants his old partner back. And then uh, on the search for fuel, we meet the March, who's this weird two-headed freelancer with very tiny legs. He murders Isabel, very sad. Marco then turns to violence again eventually and kills the March. And the planet is eventually sucked into this giant space baby. And all the critters are very religious, and they say, God will save us. And they actually um, die because of some finagling in another world and then alana like kip says at the end has a miscarriage and it's horribly sad that's essentially the breakdown the terrible breakdown of volume seven
1: you hit, hit all the the major points the so i did find the wooden rocket ship like really interesting because we didn't it's not like they're like okay this is how this rocket ship works and then like they lay it out with all the schematics and everything no. right right You find out pieces of how it works like as you read and like as it makes sense in the story to let you know how it works. And the first time I remember when I read like how the ship refuels, I was like, that is so cool. And it's the because there was like one thing where I think it was like Marco saying, I'm going to go check to make sure that the ship takes route. Yep. I was like. Yep. Oh, so this is mm-hmm. how it refuses. It literally just like grows roots down into the ground and then sucks up the energy. And my understanding is like why they were on Fang for six months is because the ship also like grows food for the people. And because of all the critters that they've adopted, they were going through the food so quickly that the ship <laughs> didn't get get to like store up enough fuel for the the amount of energy it needed to blast off to right, escape the time suck. Yeah yeah
2: they were adorable. They're not they're not goose but uh it's close.
1: Miss <laughs> yes, Goose, okay like they <laughs> they paled in comparison to goose. I mean Curdy was like kinda cute but also Curdy <laughs> was kinda icon. cute.
0: I have a fun name for them. I call them the <laughs> on weasels <laughs> <laughs>
2: Nice. For some reason, <laughs> I thought they were going to be like evil. I don't know why. Like when they popped up, I'm like, I can't yes. trust these.
0: Groups. They're drawn to look threatening. Yes. Yeah. They're drawn to look wily and mischievous and threatening and like perfidious. Like.
1: Yeah. Oh, you can't see, but yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <I can say. laughs> but it's like. I, it just like added to like, I feel like, I don't know with you guys, I had like a sense of dread throughout this. whole I don't know if it was just how the area looked, like it looked like ruined, like where they were, where they lived, all these broken down buildings and yep. just, it just felt kind of an ugly place. And I feel like that kind of permeated through my reading experience up until, you know, obviously bad things did happen.
0: I mean, critically, it's the war zone where Marco killed his first person.
2: Oh <laughs> right, Yeah. And he kills again
0: and Marco continues his pattern of pacifism and aggression.
2: <laughs> Goes back and forth, back and forth. A pendulum. Hey, that'll come we'll talk about that again, definitely. <laughs> we will
0: definitely talk about that again. But did you guys have a favorite moment in this volume because mine was definitely at the end with the miscarriage. I know that's weird to say, maybe, but
1: Maybe elaborate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought that several panels of just completely black ink was a great way to end this volume. We've had cliffhangers before, but this one's really an emotional cliffhanger because we know what happened, but we don't know necessarily how things are going to unfurl out of it.
1: I think in our last last episode, Mr. Anderson had said, well, I don't think we're actually going to see the little brother because in all of hazel's narration up to that point like she didn't mention having a little brother Mm. and yep that was a correct prediction sort of actually i was sort of wrong yeah you were yeah
0: (laughs) yeah did see him what did you folks think about the march this this new freelancer
2: he was fine i liked him i mean everyone's he just visually looks interesting but when you compare them just comparing him or them, I should say, to yeah, is he a he? Uh, well,
1: yeah, they have I think two heads. Like,
0: uh.
1: Saya <laughs> twins one or of something. Each? Yeah, one yeah. of each. Yeah. They're siblings. <laughs>
0: yeah. But they are the yeah.
1: yeah but the that's March. just like a Everyone
0: name. is the yeah. All the <laughs> yeah, freelancers. All the freelancers are she's.
1: Yeah, it's a title.
2: First of all, his the body size just. I couldn't get over it. It's too too top heavy, and his legs are very legs are very small proportionally. Not a fan. And those heels like ke- that they're wearing. <laughs> I know. The outfit was great. I kind of was, and who oh and he and they had like a cute pet pig. As everyone has to have yeah, a little a side sidekick. Kick. What do they say? That's yep. like the midlife crisis for freelancers. They always get a sidekick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, But like going forward in the next couple of volumes, the killers that we meet there, so to speak, I found way more interesting than the march or way more layered, I should say, particularly uh, one that encounters the will. So in that regard, I visually I liked him and he was intimidating. But uh, I think he was kind of just a conduit for Marco to, like you said, pendulum back and forth between pacifism and violence again. And That's just another reason, a way for him to show his, his reasoning to see violent salt helps his family. Mm-hmm. But I loved his pet pig or his partner.
3: Even compared to, like, the other freelancers, I was, like, um, uh, what was the Will's
0: sibling? The brand?
3: Like, we got about the same amount of time with the brand, and everyone loves the brand, and, um, the March mm-hmm. just, I don't feel it was that interesting.
0: In issue 39, there was a letter about about the brand saying, why would you kill another queer-coded character? <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> why would you kill another space lesbian
2: <laughs> they do uh yeah that's, that's a good point well i'll let panda or mr anderson uh talk about this but like i guess the best part about the march for me was what he did to, uh isabel well it's not a happy thing but that was like the best part. <laughs> <asking him. laughs> well i thought that was the mo- most impactful moment for me particularly when she's talking just previously mr robots like why do you help these guys out you know practically like an indentured servant to them and she was she was like they showed me the universe you know I thought that was really sweet before she yep. perishes.
0: Or like a right before she perished.
2: <laughs> this was Should like seen it coming.
0: a bad death movie death flag. She
2: had a fight
3: with Hazel and then it was like oh I get to see the universe and then
0: yep. she dies. Yep. there were a number of death flags there. <laughs> Uh, i can't have a fight with a protagonist and then go off on a deadly mission expecting to survive you really just can't
1: (laughs) (laughs) i think sometimes we think that the author kills off a character too soon but i think in this case it was a good thing just right i really like isabel and i would like to see her stick around but i think her purpose for the plot and the characters was kind of running out of potential because there's not a whole ton that she can do, and eventually, like Hazel is going to become her own person. Like Isabel can't continue completely to be completely opposite
0: reaction to that. Yeah, <laughs> I think Isabel was too powerful.
1: Oh yeah, sure.
0: I think Isabel was solving too many problems for Hazel and needed to be separated or killed.
1: Right, we knew that that moment had to come at some point. And I think this was a good point where it is also like a, like a turning point for Hazel or at least like a growing point for Hazel because she's now much older. She had her first kiss. She, you know, was going to become a big sister and like she was growing up.
2: Yep. And there's just so many other figures in her life that could fill that void and do step in, whether it's Petri or Goose.
1: Yeah. Goose the babysitter. (laughs) Or or Squire. (laughs) or squire
0: it's her new brother new brother and now she has to be the babysitter (laughs) (laughs) that's right that was sad (laughs) which part you have to be way more specific than that when she realized that she was going to have to be the babysitter to her new baby brother now that isabel was Mm -hmm. gone Mm -hmm. and her grandmother was gone
2: yeah i like that sense of panic she had that a child you know as an older sibling you always kind of do have where you're kind of like, I'm not ready for that. I have to do what? Like, just that hint of responsibility, you know, is kind of a panic inducing sometimes. Yep.
1: As an aside, so myself, I am an older sibling. Mr. Anderson is also an older sibling. Me too. You're also an older sibling, Yeti? Oldest of three. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oldest of four. We're all older siblings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're all Hazels today.
0: Well. <laughs> <Still> <laughs> my childhood is much happier than Hazel's.
1: <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I had a babysit, uh, my younger brother, my parents, like they, like we didn't have a ton of money when we were growing up. They would pay me in pennies, like <laughs> oh five God. pennies for a session of babysitting, <laughs> and I would collect <laughs> those pennies. And when I had enough, I would. Trade them in for like a nickel and a dime, and I would save up that money for the Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: wow. <laughs>
1: yeah, so. Yeah, that was my babysitting gig. That's a lot of pennies. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, like, you know, oh, okay, if you, like, do this chore, we'll give you some pennies. So, babysitting, other hey. stuff. Yeah.
2: And it's You get what you can get. Mm-hmm. What could you afford one Ronald Dahl book or <laughs>
1: <laughs> a bookmark I could afford a bookmark yeah. <laughs> 25 cents.
0: Speaking of childhoods, Gwendolyn and Marco, maybe they worked once. How do you think they would work together now?
2: Nope. as a couple, like if they went if their lives in a different universe, they were together.
0: Well, we're, we're watching Marco have his, like, pacifism, violence thing on an individual, personal level. Look at the parallel arc we're seeing with Gwendolyn, who stayed home at Wreath. Oh, right. What is she determining the lives of? Millions of people and planets. And just oh, kind man. of cavalierly cooperating with the enemy in order to destroy a planet full of refugees. Like, yeah, they evacuated a bunch of them, but they clearly didn't get all of them.
2: I don't think they would have made it long-term. I did like that part, though. That planet or the comet would have... Fang would have survived if it wasn't for that. Mm-hmm. They would have yep. went straight through the time suck safely if it wasn't literally for Gwendolyn.
0: The baby wouldn't have vomited black liquid all over the comet, yeah. <laughs> what was the point of that? It was, It was just to get rid of a battlefield, right? Oh, and blame the Last Rebellion.
1: My understanding is, like, it's kind of twofold. One... It was like becoming too costly. Mm. Both sides, right? They kept losing soldiers there. Like nobody was winning. And second, it was like Fang is such a valuable fuel resource. They didn't want it to li- to end up in their enemies' hands. So it was kind of like nobody can have it, you know? Okay. Let's just destroy it.
0: The peril of living in a place with large abundance of natural resources and little government.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Not great. Poor Fang. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about in volume seven? Like, I don't know, Prince Robot almost committing suicide.
1: Prince Robot committing suicide, but also admitting that he's in love with Alana?
0: Yep. Yeah, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> yep. Like what? Uh, Prince Robot has had a lot of inappropriate sexual feelings. That is faceplate displays. <laughs>
2: Thank God I'm not a robot. I would uh, my face. Thank God, right? <laughs> A lot of stuff would pop up there. Can I read some of my favorite Prince Robot quotes from this volume? He had me dying.
3: But you some can. are kind of... Kind
2: of some are, There's three of them. Who has the uh, beep button ready? <laughs> yeah. whoever uh, Kip, you're, you're editing this. I'm editing, uh, so... Alright, first one. Uh, Isabel says, no offense, but Queen Robot seems like a CUN and Prince Robot says, mm, a beheadable yet fair assessment. Uh, the next one... <laughs> Thanks to your employees, my only son has been left in the care of a mentally deficient CO for far too long. I enjoyed that one. So. And then uh, he. as he's walking <laughs> out of the ship. How dare he? I, for- I know. Yeah. Just his distaste for Goose is heartwarming, weirdly. Really. And then lastly, he's talking about something. And then he says, because it seems to me your immaterial queen of a pet continues to serve precisely zero purpose. Talking about Isabel. thought that was a very visual way to <laughs> talk about Isabel. <it. laughs> So I don't know. I couldn't every time he said one of those just like his his sass is unrivaled. I
3: was gonna say, I don't know if I call it an arc, but he has quite a story in
2: these three volumes.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: He's got a lot of uh, a lot
2: going on. <laughs> I'd argue he has an arc, but we'll I'd argue he has a, a truncated nine. arc.
0: <laughs> which is an arc. <laughs> yeah.
2: Quick notes I noticed, I thought there was a cool parallel that like Hazel was telling Curdy uh, her deceased boyfriend, that heaven is a lie, while Gwen tells Sophie that hell is real. thought those mm-hmm. were cool, kind of like back and forths. And then, I don't know, just with Marco, I, we'll talk more about it, but it, him and violence. But specifically, he takes a life, the march, and whether it's fate or whatever, a life is taken away from him, his unborn mm-hmm. child, which I don't think that's an accident by the, by the author. But that's all I've got for Volume 7
0: and yeah death of sweet boy as well in chapter 42
2: and uh turned into a rug i don't know if that's
1: the next volume
0: yep
2: that's,
1: the next that's later
2: one. oh sorry
0: still scarred
1: um kip yes in the last episode you had asked about what is the um ratio of dicks to volumes <laughs> remember that and
0: and it's uh seems like it's at least one good one per volume.
1: One one good one per is it per volume? I think so. Or per per <laughs> like episode that we're doing.
0: <laughs> well, uh, uh Prince Robots was this one. Yep. <laughs> A full vertical height. And and really zoomed in. Just really fully framed by the panel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It woke me up. <laughs> Shot of espresso. You know what? If I had to come up with some words for it, I might call it Regal. I might. <laughs> well, they didn't have any, like, dragons or giant <laughs> volume, so they needed
3: something else to uh, keep people reading. Yeah. yeah, no, they went for a really different
0: form.
2: <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> there was a couple pathetic shots of the Will and his private parts, but nice contrast to robots, as you say, Regal member. Yep.
1: Yep. I really enjoyed Petracor in this volume she's like this conflicting character where not just you know her identity but like her disdain for alana because alana is you know a landfallian, she's she's the enemy yes. right but her wanting to protect marco like you know marco is like i'm gonna go and petrachor's like no 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 i will go or like for some reason like she really wanted to go on this re- really like dangerous mission to try to find fuel When, like, Sir Robot was like, I'm gonna go. And Petricor was like, no. Mm. You've, you know, and it's, I think she really does care about offspring because, like, she knows that Sir Robot's got a son. Like, Marco's got Hazel. And I don't know if they also kind of have a death wish here, but.
0: I don't think so. I definitely don't accuse Petricor of having a death wish. Okay. That's mostly reserved for the will, which w- we kind
1: of see why. But yeah,
0: yeah. Well, R- robot's going through something at the moment. <laughs> robot just wants an easy out. Robot wants to find some way where they can just lay back and have a lot of sex and not do anything. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and appa- apparently,
0: apparently, Sextilian kicked him out, so he's got to try and find <laughs> somewhere else where he can laze about the universe unless it's related to his son squire in which case robot finally has some sort of motivation mm-hmm. but like trapped in a ship with alana and family robot goes a little crazy mhm maybe just a little and gets spied on by small children <laughs> during <laughs> during his dreams
1: that is like <laughs> can you imagine like if everything if you're every thinking... dream I had was on my face <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh my
1: god! No,
2: I, I can't imagine. I don't want to.
0: <laughs> I can imagine not having sleepovers ever again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the last thing for me is the Will getting like rejected by Lioncat, his sidekick. <laughs> oh yeah,
4: Ooh, chose yeah. Sophie. That was brutal. Yeah,
1: I think that was like off. the kind of nail in the coffin for the Will. Because like, all right, I am a piece of crap, you know even my sidekick of many years Lioncat, cat has said I would rather be with Sophie than you and then the will goes on this rampage to find robot and Marco's family
2: yeah it highlights to me that just I think it, we brought it up last episode but the two violent people in the well, si was a lot more the two but Marco and the will arguably the two most violent people and what having a family does for one where at least he's still violent Marco but he's fighting it and what pushing away a family does to the other person and just the direction his life goes after that. I think that's a cool contrast between those two. It's not the last time those two will be in a sentence together, but Mm -hmm. yeah, that was, that was brutal. Lioncat slunked away. Yep. And Sophie too. I mean, she denied him as well after, you know, leading us to believe she wanted to be an apprentice. She denied coming along with him.
0: Yeah. What do we think of Sophie and her life path wanting to become a freelancer? Don't
2: feel great
1: about it. She's a very traumatized kid.
2: Yeah, I I don't have hope for her. I, I really... They didn't get much screen time, but I'm worried for her going forward.
0: I'm, I'm very worried for Sophie as well going forward.
1: you think Sophie and Hazel will meet? I
0: think Definitely. they're going to meet under bad circumstances. <laughs> I think uh, Sophie might be tracking down Hazel, trying to finish her last job or something.
2: Yikes. Hazel kills the will or something. Yep. Or, Lana or something. Maybe. She goes out for revenge.
0: Hazel kills the will while Sophie is like running towards him. <laughs> and watches him disintegrate in a cloud of acid. Yeah, that could be a thing.
3: You seem to have put some thought into this. I, look, <laughs>
0: yeah. it, Saga suggests this to my mind. The, the way that it's ripping characters apart.
1: Sure is.
0: And giving Hazel's significantly more destructive abilities. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to Volume 8. Yeah. (laughs) So Alana has just had her miscarriage and discovers that she has magical powers courtesy of her now-dead child who's inside of her. She calls herself a coffin. Do you have a recap for this, Yeti? Uh,
2: Yeah, another terrible one. I can run it down if you want. Run it down. Okay. Uh, The gang, they uh, escape Fang, they go to abortion town. It's like a wild, wild west type of town they even have cowboy clothes they're riding colored zebras and as you said alana can now create her imaginary son with this new power since her unborn child is is inside her she has these powers he hangs around and bonds with hazel Uh, alana and marco go to a shady wolf abortion doctor there's pro-life cowboy horse people robot spares them and then robot and petri have a romance together and then the will we find is tortured by Lanth, someone who he the wife of someone he killed earlier.
0: I think it's Ianthi.
2: Oh, Ianthi. It's not an L.
0: Okay. No, I think it's an I. Okay.
2: Tortured by Ianthi, uh, Goose we find is raising Squire with Doff and Upshire, and at the end, after the procedure, we'll call it by the disgusting wolf creature, who is actually very nice. They Squire and Hazel meet, and everyone reunites at this. Seems like a happy ending at the end. Yeah. That's all I really had for...
0: Uh, It's interesting that you called the wolf creature disgusting, because I agree that it was also a case of misleading initial splash art, which came into place with the on weasels beforehand as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to make that stick. I'm going to make that a thing. And... (laughs) 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 And then once you meet this terrifying wolf creature who apparently doesn't use really use gloves when operating the first time but does the second a little confusing there <laughs> turns out to be not so bad turns out to uh, be a very rational explainer of their morals and ideology
2: yes and again just a general warning this portion is heavily going to be about abortion
0: we're going to try and yeah. walk on some eggshells here, but it needs to be talked about.
2: But well I will say, I do think the author, Brian K. Vaughn, did really try to show kind of both sides as not particularly wrong or right, if that makes sense. Like you said, I think that wolf doctor tried to explain, you know, explain their views and things like that, why they did it for Alana and why they did it for this other patient who wasn't an unborn child like i think the author really put in circumstances that this wasn't an unsettled volume obviously i think he really tried to take care of that even the the horse pro-life half horse people you know i think they you know a doctor said they should have an abortion because their son wasn't going to make it and they decided to have him and he they did make it so that filtered their view of why they're pro-life does that make sense or i think they could have just made them more evil and must ask Trillian. I don't think they did that, though.
0: Saga is definitely a character-focused tale, and so it relays its morals and messages through individual stories of people that it tries to build out. I think it does a pretty good job for, first off, being a graphic novel with a very limited word count in which to do things, and Fiona really is able to pull together a lot of emotions and graphical descriptions of events in her art. But when you're talking about something as complicated as the morals of abortion, you're really running into problems with the economy of word count. And I think Brian Kavon does a very good job with not getting preachy, but just showing stories. Agreed.
2: And you kind of talked about it, Kip. So with end life, which is what this wolf so this this creature, it's like a wolf looking creature who looks super tired and has like six boobs or nipples hanging down and then we see it with bloody hands like when we first meet it, it looks like a yep monster just killed someone but i think that specific image is like i think that's on purpose not just for the characters to be freaked out but to think like what they do is an evil thing mm-hmm. again yep. not to get too political but and i think the, they were they're called that monsters they're,
0: literal monsters
1: they are right. <clears throat> and there's that contrast of seeing her pups like she mm-hmm. she's a mother right mm-hmm. right
0: right yeah she values motherhood yep and a it kind of implied cannibalism which is kind of monstrous
1: i didn't think it was cannibalism i okay obviously it's like left fairly vague but kind of implied that maybe because the the other patient that she had just worked on was like a giant elephant looking creature <laughs> yep it was yeah
2: um
1: I don't know if she had fed the baby to her pups.
0: I mean, is that not cannibalism?
1: But that's not cannibalism. They're not of the same species.
0: No, but they're still, like, sentient.
1: Is that what cannibalism means?
0: (laughs) I'd
3: say it's one of the definitions. You need to look up the dictionary definition to know that it's a little disturbing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) True. Yes. Yeah, because if I ate a newborn elephant. It's not cannibalism.
0: No, but only animal. because we've decided it's that humans are some sort of separate part of the animal kingdom. And the Saga right. world doesn't seem to show that.
1: There aren't really any humans in Saga, right? <laughs> I know. That's true. <laughs> I don't think there are any humans, actually, now that I think about it. Like oh, I said, Saga doesn't will?
0: really show a human dichotomy.
1: Oh, what well, is the, the will.
2: will? I would say the will.
0: The will and okay. the brand. Maybe. It's yep. the closest we have, right? Yeah. yeah definitely not prince robot god no <laughs> maybe
3: that's the future of human evolution we're all gonna put tvs in our heads
0: <laughs> maybe we're maybe not that far off. <laughs> and i did like how there were at least three separate jurisdictions of abortion law there was Landfallian. in there was wreath which seemed like it would have been a good place to go to if they wouldn't have been immediately arrested on site there Mm-hmm. It seems like mm-hmm. they would have preferred maybe that legal code, but instead they had to go to this back alley monster
1: mm-hmm.
0: who may or may not eat unborn children.
1: Can we talk a moment about... Sorry, this is like a hard right turn.
0: Sometimes those are needed.
1: <laughs> Petrichor and the spell that she was casting? <laughs> oh boy. Um, When you're reading that part, right it's all very dramatic because Marco almost like falls off the train and he was saved. And then it cuts to Petrichor who is like looking at this photo of somebody she loves, who
0: I, I forgot there is, was a like, train job.
1: Oh yeah. They had to jump onto a train. <laughs> you know,
0: yeah,
1: Whom like Petrichor, it, it seemed like the person either like left her, like broke up with her or died. I don't know which one, but then, you're like, okay, is she going to, what kind of spell is she going to be casting? And then literally it's like, please send me someone to.
0: <laughs> you know what?
1: Yeah. <laughs> send me someone and to,
0: uh, to <laughs> and, and then the universe provides. <laughs> so that, that's some serious spellcasting there. <laughs> yup.
2: That had the same vibes for uh, high school Yeti beats when he would pray to God to get him a girlfriend. (laughs) It was kind of like the same. (laughs) I never had my uh, robot cup, but it's fine.
0: Mm. I've done a lot of prayers for snow. (laughs) A lot lot of dramatic snow dances. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Yep, that's a thing. Totally a thing.
1: For skiers and snowboarders.
0: For Christmas? My high school actually had a ceremony where we would take the youngest freshmen on the ski team and we would climb to the top of the nearby mountain and like there's a rock face on the edge of a cliff and we would put them on the on the rock and cover them in snow and then pray for snow.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> Did it work?
0: I mean, there was often not even enough snow to cover the freshmen in snow. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, was a, it was a prayer for a good season of snow.
1: Yeah, that, that is very much a thing here in Seattle. I've never been, though.
0: You so also have you. do snow sacrifices?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't call them sacrifices. <laughs> there, there are rituals, okay? <laughs> but I've never been, so I can't tell you like what exactly they do.
0: Uh, my family did a snow dance uh, one time and we got like three feet of snow the next day. That, that one. Wow. Felt great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, the, uh, the ski resort was like on the edge of not having enough snow to cover the ground. And then boom, oh, wow. three feet of fresh powder. It was great. I think we were actually on the local news doing our snow dance. <laughs> they caught you in the act. <laughs> they, they caught us in the act. Look, it was it's a very small town they didn't have anything else going on it's just a ski resort <laughs> they just they just send their camera crew around the ski resort and they film stuff and, and hey sometimes it makes tv
2: <laughs> did you guys like that romance choice though i thought about it like in the previous volumes but i kind of brushed it off like okay, i feel it, like there was some signs, but uh it's uh, a flip. <laughs> well prince robot had love in his eyes i don't know <laughs> i would say so I think they're both fulfilling needs for each other. I think that Petrie is so filled with hate, I thought it was nice that they could come together, even because they both have ingrained hate for each other just because of what the wars and stuff like that. I thought it yep. was nice to show that they could both change and come together over... Well, I'm not sure how
1: they were arguing. They bonded the over romance yeah. novels because they were both That's reading yeah. heist books and they're like, you're reading that trash too? <laughs>
2: Heist does it again, this man. He, just, he, he brings a lot of people together. I gotta get me one of these books.
1: Heist the matchmaker.
0: We need to read more romance novels in Green Team.
1: Sign <laughs> that's, me up.
0: That's how, I,
2: that's how I feel when I see a girl reading a Robin Hobb book on the bus. or the train
0: Ooh. The ooh.
2: <laughs> He's still my beating heart.
0: I used to ride the subway a lot, and I definitely would be like, ooh, that person looks interesting. They're, they're like reading some Ian Banks over there.
2: <laughs> that person's reading SAGA and they're at the dragon penis part <laughs>
1: I definitely when I see people reading in public I am I am one of those people who's like trying to figure out what they're reading <laughs> and secretly judging them based on that
0: it's like they're at a crown of swords ooh they got this coming up <laughs> or like wait they're at a crown of swords in 2017 what are they doing <laughs>
1: See, th- this is where e-readers like take away that enjoyment from me, because I can't tell what they're reading, <laughs> which is probably intentional for,
0: on their part. For of some of them, head. yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you buy a physical Chuck Tingle novel?
1: <laughs>
0: Have you seen um, the covers? Yeah.
1: His covers are like bizarre, too, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they are cheap Photoshop jobs, but yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, this is a complete tangent. So what are we talking about in um, Volume 8? <laughs>
0: We'll uh, yeah, we're talking about hazel singing a lullaby that she learned from izzy to her unborn baby <laughs> brother who's only a force projection <laughs> not even bad. a force projection just just a, yeah. a a possible future forecasting spell
1: right
2: it'll be a miracle if this if hazel grows up and doesn't have to go to therapy like therapy the amount are of you trauma kidding me she- she, you know,
3: she
0: already needs to go to therapy. <laughs> and I know, but Children just, are resilient. Children are resilient. <laughs> I
2: know, but man, to see your possible brother as a force ghost and then slide away after bonding with him. T- tough
1: tough look for her. Maybe at the end of this whole series it's revealed that all these things that we're reading is... It is Hazel's therapy sessions. Like She is relaying her life story <laughs> to a therapist. Good.
0: I'd buy that. I don't know. I view it more in like the cloud Atlas thing where it's like yeah. a record being left behind for fellow revolutionaries.
2: <laughs> I liked her, even though I talked about this the last or volume seven, what Hazel says, uh, or someone says alone, a person suffer and dies, but together a family thrives. <laughs> and I was like, that's Hazel's family compared to the will. Again, that just keeps being brought up where it's like all mm-hmm. the people alone. And just, it just gets worse and worse. He's strapped naked to a torture chamber.
0: Yeah, that was a, another dick that we got. <laughs> more pathetic
2: compared to Prince well,
0: More, more he pathetic. He was to present himself, really. It was just... Not the same scale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Also, I think that was maybe technically the very start of Volume 9. Oh, man. Why do we keep doing yeah. that? <laughs> but let's get back to him because Issue 47 is actually where we get Sweet Boy as a rug. Oh. <sighs> How did that make you feel the first time you saw that and recognized it? Rest in Uh, peace, people.
3: I mean, (laughs) it was sad. It it was his sibling's partner that he adopted when he became even more evil the first
2: time. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think of that. It's like the last remnant of his sister.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. Speaking of remnants of childhood, how did you like (laughs) these uh, magical VCR trips into the Will's past? And what does this now (laughs) make you think about the Will as a character... And with his own trauma, he's definitely very unhinged at this point. Oh yeah, I thought he was
3: well hinged before, but
0: now he's got multiple hallucinations at the same time.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it just goes to show that you know trauma. We've talked. I feel like me and Kim have talked about this so many times between Hob and now Saga. But if you have trauma in the past with your family, that stuff bleeds into your future and your present. It's happening with Prince Robot the abuse with his family. Marco, obviously, with his family, and now with the will. It all leads into violent tendencies and it leads into them repeating those actions in one sense or another. I mean this stuff is all it's all you know, it's all related. And I I, I wasn't shocked when I saw that that kind of stuff happen, that his dad was abusive, especially towards his sister. It wasn't shocking. Did it make him more sympathetic? At that point in time, yes. Did it last? No. <laughs> mm.
1: I'm just very curious if, one, Brian K. Vaughn had a very traumatic childhood. And second, is he a father? (laughs) Like, because what you're saying, like, there are so many characters in this series that have very depressing pasts. And, you know, growing up, like, they had to deal with a lot. And from a parent's perspective, you then have, like, you know, Marco's parents. And then you have Marco and Alana. You have Sir Robot, like these parental figures, at least with like Marco and Alana, they're like really trying not to pass on how effed up they are to their child. But like their circumstances, they're in circumstances that they can't control and Hazel has to experience all of these like traumatic things despite their best efforts. So it's like...
0: on has a wife and two kids.
1: Okay. I kind of want to know like what Brian is thinking when he's like writing these characters from the parental view and from like the kids' view, and then also what he, how their his kids are doing. I
2: know. <laughs> yeah, I would have bet any amount of money he was a father, especially after reading volume nine. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he yeah has
0: experienced as father. But... and has a dog named Hamburger.
2: <laughs> is are it a, a dog? It? Yeah, what kind? It's a Oh, good call, Panda. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Hamburger selects some of the letters for the end of the issues.
2: Mm, (laughs) It selects it. Yep. I thought that there was a theme kind of of choosing your family. (sighs) Kind of like how Marco and everyone, they're choosing Prince Robot and Squire to be. It's not always blood relations that's your your family. I mean, going forward in the story, the family we have are all unrelated. You know, Squire, she chooses him as a new brother, so to speak. I do think it was kind of matched up with uh, choosing to have an abortion stuff, but uh, maybe just vaguely. But I do think that's like an ongoing theme is that, you know, you can choose who you want in your life and to be close to and to stick up for things like that.
0: Yeah, there's a very big implication of the agency of choice in constructing your family. Mm -hmm. Who is and isn't your family is something that you get to decide as an individual person. Prince Robot has forsaken his parents and has focused on just Squire. Alana and Marco have found each other across the divide of a war and have made a daughter that they're willing to abandon all their other family for. The grandparents originally came in. And then there's people like Goose and Yuma and other members of the troop and Isabel and people who have no direct biological connection, but have become part of this family with Hazel as the nucleus. Yes.
2: As opposed to, again, the one person who over and over again, rejects any type of family (laughs) and goes down a dark path because of it in the will.
0: Yeah. It's not the only one who does that, but yes. Yeah.
1: That kind of brings up, not exactly a criticism, but kind of like from a different lens for people who like being alone, who like not having attachments um, and they're content with just being with themselves. I don't think they would be very represented in this series. The closest would be Goose, who was like specifically saying, well, I've been alone, you know, like I've been on my own for years and I'm fine. I mean he still has Frendo, at least. Yeah, he has Frendo. Is Frendo a
0: person? <laughs> <laughs> friendo's Frendo, kinda of just there. <laughs> he, Goose says he was gonna kill and slaughter Frendo to eat, so I'm pretty sure Frendo is not a that person. That was a
1: last resort, okay? I
0: mean, um, if I said that as a last resort, like I was gonna kill and slaughter you. Was,
1: that would be that... called cannibalism, Kip, okay? <laughs> but yeah i mean like the the themes in here the characters like they're very much like you know you find strength and comfort in others but sometimes you kind of just want to be on your own and i need to pause here because my computer is running out of battery and i need to plug it in i'm back
0: okay we just got done talking about all the poop monsters
4: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I think that was just like let's throw in something fun. Like there's not a whole ton of consequences there.
0: Nope, it was an excuse for Alana to show magic. Yeah, which which was really cool. It was pretty cool. It's definitely the weirdest side effect of a miscarriage that I've seen in fantasy. Mm. And the resultant worshiping of Alana by PetraCor is also unexpected.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, that was kind of cool though like just a world building sense that their people kind of just worship those who've lost someone.
1: I thought that was really cool because it's acknowledging and respecting people who have gone through that experience.
0: Yeah. In her narration, Hazel says that miscarriages don't get funerals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a sad true fact. I know several people in my life who have had miscarriages and have just not even wanted to talk about them. Like, they yeah. were trying for kids, they had miscarriages, and it took them a couple tries. And those were very, very painful, and they don't want to bring it up.
2: Yeah. Right. And nobody wants to bring it up around them either, you know? And like, no. as you said, no. Andrew, there's no acknowledgement of it happening, whether anyone wants it or not. Whereas in this society, that's it's like something that always makes them a warrior. So not a warrior, but like admired, so to speak, that have gone through something like that.
0: Sacred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, sacred. Yeah. Shall we move on to Volume 9?
2: Can I bring one thing up I didn't like in this volume? Sure. So there's a line in here where I think Hazel brings up the topic of fidget spinners. Yes, she <laughs> yes, does. Okay, can I
0: bring and up I'm something, then? I'm
4: pretty
2: sure... <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
0: In the later issues, Brian K. Vaughn brings up that he has never, ever gotten more letters complaining about something <laughs> than when he put a fidget spinner in. <laughs> it
2: took me out. I was like, yep. there's fidget spinners in this world. It's Not just... when
0: he had a was... dragon penis. Not when he had no <laughs> nope. fidget spinners.
3: Look, there are some bridges that are just too far to cross. Okay. <laughs>
2: in this massive world, fidget spinners was a just a, way too far.
1: Did he lose a bet or something? Like, <laughs> or was this on a dare? It just, it felt so out of place.
3: I think it was late at night,
0: and he was like, hey, this is funny, and then that made it like, <laughs> somehow. Well, he's he's promised never to do it again, so. <laughs> right. There'll be no uh, TikTok shout outs or anything else. <laughs> That's how you apologize. You apologize for something, you promise never to do it again. There you go. And then you don't. <laughs> and so far, he hasn't. <laughs> okay, now let's get to Hurry Up Slave Boy in Volume 9. Yeti, you got a synopsis? Oh,
2: boy. boy. Yep. All right. Let's see. Everyone is now in a hideaway paradise. Seems like Doff and Upshur's hideaway that's on this awesome island. They're all swimming, playing chicken with each other, goose and Hawaiian shirts. The reporters say they can change the identity and the species of Robot, Petri, and Squire for Robot's uh, big story he has for them. Anthea is now hunting Marco with Will as a. chained up prisoner uh naked also and <clears throat> mostly it all just takes place on this island and marco and alana have their sweet moments dates in the water petri and hazel have nice conversations the reporters together goose and squire and then i just say it all goes to hell Eanthi <laughs> kills daf upshire shoots li- the will rips the robot's head off and at the very end will kills marco
1: okay i just have to ask When you first saw the Eonthi character, like, masked, who did you think it was?
2: I had no clue. I couldn't remember at all. That was another robot.
1: So did I. Yeah. And then, like, when they revealed themselves, right? Like, that was A little underwhelming. I I (laughs) I was like, A a little underwhelming.
2: Yep. One, she was ugly. And I was like, who is this? And then I had to be, I had no clue. But I did like going forward. I really liked her. Like that's why I said with the march, I was like, I really ended up liking Ayante for multiple things. One, she saves Squire, which kind of gives me one. I don't think she's dead for the first point. I did mark that down. I said there's only three deaths. I, said, I don't think she's actually dead, and I think she's going to have a uh, she'll be a good guy at the end. But so I thought I there's more. You think is going to turn good? Than... I do. Yep. yep. Okay. I don't think. Do you guys think she's dead? I don't think so. Chicago's I think she dead. is. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. As we see her, she's saying, kill me, kill me. And Mm -hmm. Upshur doesn't. Well, We'll see. I don't know. I haven't read any
1: of Volume 10. I don't know. Okay, maybe you're right.
0: I don't think Alana is dead. If Alana is dead, then I will be upset.
1: But I don't think she's dead. No way.
2: She just got her wing shot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Prince Robot is definitely
2: dead. I saw that man's head be ripped from his body. (laughs) Or his TV head (laughs) ripped from his body. Did you remember that? Did you say, Panda? You forgot. I, I totally, totally forgot. You
0: died. Me too. That was that was a brutal ripping. <laughs> Is there a <laughs> really? non-brutal way to, yeah. <laughs> in less detail and like because that was a full screen ripping and that was a you could see every cable, you could see every piece of strain, every drop of coolant, every <laughs> another sexually fluid character bites the dust.
2: I know. I was thinking that when you brought it up, I'm like, man, they drop like flies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we just talk about the Marco stuff? Because I feel like I
0: I, I can't keep it in. Sure. Let's talk about the Marco stuff. We can <clears throat> talk about his cycle of anger and violence and pacifism. Now that it's over, his last impulse was to not kill a deadly enemy, and it finally ended up coming around and killing him. Yeah. We got these, like, apo- this uh, treatise on apologies, but Marco, do you think he has to apologize for being who he is and not being able to kill people sometimes? <sighs>
2: I don't think he has to apologize for who he is. I think he always strived to be better, and I think he always... Failed at it until this time. I mean, I think he succeeded in the end. He protected his family without taking a life. He tackled the Will. He did not kill the Will. They're safely out of distance. And I think going forward, I have no proof of this because there's like, what, nine more issues to come. I think in the bigger scheme of things, him sparing the Will's life is going to, in the end, end up protecting Hazel in some way or fashion. I think that choice that he made was more... More than just him overcoming his, I wouldn't say lust for violence, but his always choice to use violence. I think in the end that's going to be the right choice, even though he'll never live to see it. But I, and I, there's just a lot of things he uses. He uses a shield to fight the will, a defensive weapon compared to the yep. will's lance, which is an offensive weapon. You know, everything about that was screaming his choice to kind of abolish violence, even in the end. Although it was funny that he dies by the, the weapon he created when he like melted the, the will's hand into some sort of drill yeah. like shape. <laughs> Again, that, I mean, he did that.
1: But, well, uh, um, in the, in the previous episodes where Marco went violent, right? He was protecting somebody else. But in this case with the will, once he realized his family was safe from the Will, because, of, you know, they blasted off, the only person he would be saving would be himself. And that's when he was like, I can't.
0: I don't fully understand the conception of just because the Will is in a spaceship off the planet doesn't mean he come, can't come right back and kill the rest of the family.
1: Well, I mean, the family could have escaped as well um, on their rocket ship. But it was like... There was
0: distance. There's like a minute of distance. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I see what
2: you're saying, Kip. But I thought about that too. I was like, I guess it could go back, but at least they're aware of it now. And, you know, Marco's, but I think the biggest point for Marco was that he knows that, like we've been saying, violence just leads to a cycle of more violence. And I think he thought by killing the will for whatever reason, something would happen and a hazel would be in more danger whether that's the will's dead and like we were saying sophie now is coming out to revenge and come to kill marco this whole series of saga is just saying violence is just this endless cycle whether it's war or people out for revenge like ayante she's out for revenge against the will because what he did killing just creates more just creates more violence in whatever fashion and i think in that moment when he looked at that planet, saw him sailing away, I thought he—I think he thought this was the best way to protect Hazel. Maybe subconsciously knew he probably wouldn't be a part of it. I don't think he knew that he was about to get stabbed through the heart right then. But
0: No, the I stomach. don't think he knew he was going to get stabbed.
2: <laughs> but I think that's the bigger thing. More so than them being safe, I think he just knew by killing the will. I think he finally realized, or decided it's just going to create more problems.
0: Do you think it would have actually gotten more violence? Yeah. You think that it would have maybe spurred Sophie on to continue the cycle? Sophie, even Gwendolyn. I mean, she might or say Orton. she doesn't have
2: feelings for her. Yeah. I mean, I, someone, maybe the agent,
0: <laughs> the agent, the agent, <laughs> agent who fired him. <laughs>
2: yeah, but I don't know. But I think throughout the series, I mean, we just see the proof. There's just always someone around here. who's. Who the will had cut evade. a lot of his threads. But Marco doesn't know that to be fair. Yeah. You know, but you're right. I mean, he's, I think, but that's what I got from the moral of Marco's
0: decision. Mr. Anderson, you've been quiet. What do you think about Marco's <laughs> cycle?
3: I don't know. It's, I don't have as many, as many strong opinions as the other, as you do seem to have. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, it's kind of been his thing these past nine volumes as he goes the cycle, like you've been saying. He says no to violence, something happens. He does something, and then there's normally very quickly some repercussion from that. He didn't kill anyone before his fight with Will, right?
2: Uh, Not in that volume. Yeah. He killed the March.
3: Yeah, oh yeah. I meant like nothing immediately, like right before his death, but...
0: Yeah, he'd attempted to apologize for his inability to kill people to protect their safety before, to Alana mostly. But do you think there are some apologies that you just can't? hold people to if it's contrary to their nature are there some apologies that you just shouldn't even accept in the first case because you know that the person like for the person to behave otherwise would just be so against their nature
3: i wonder if alana never really saw that in marco i don't know if that's one of the problems here she never saw the danger behind him or whatever i think back to like when goose says something like but that guy he scares me or something like that
2: (laughs) Yeah, it always felt more internal with Marco. I mean, uh, he would voice it to Alana, obviously, because they talk about it. It never felt like sh- they struggled together too much. Well, I guess they did, but I don't know. The violence thing always felt like it was a demon within, within him, that he was constantly trying to. He took it upon himself to try to overcome.
0: I don't know. They fought about it a few times. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I just I just cried at that part. I don't know what to tell you. I, I could can... I like how they use the first quote from the first volume where she's like, my name is Hazel. I started out as an idea with the flashback of him talking to her on the beach and the small moment. I thought that was, I thought it was beautiful.
1: So that beach scene, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to bring up fast and furious. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) If you have seen furious seven and you Mm -hmm. know what scene I'm talking about, but like, this Absolutely. was very reminiscent of that, which that film had come out in 2015. And this would have come out after, I wonder if like, I don't know if Ooh. Brian K Bond is a fast and furious fan, but anyway, he could have <laughs> drawn inspiration from that. I could just hear the song by Charlie Puth in my head as I was reading those panels for the scene.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: that was touching.
2: Write him a letter. See if that's what, the, if that was the inspiration. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Maybe hamburger will pick it to be at the end of the next uh, volume.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think with Marco too. I don't. I think he always tried to look like with that conversation on the beach. He was telling Hazel just to be kind. That's what he just wants for her, and to look in the good the good in people. And I do think he generally did try to do that for the most part.
0: They took care of the on weasels.
2: Yeah, he, <laughs> he, they really did him <laughs> the on weasels. <laughs> I think that was a beautiful sentiment as like you, like you were asking, is Brian K. Vaughn a father? I mean, after that scene, I was like, that guy has to be a father. I mean, (laughs) this scene hit me before I was like a stepdad, but anyone who has kids, I mean, that's like one of your biggest things is you want to give them, you want them to be okay. God forbid you're not around forever, obviously. And that scene was just so powerful for those reasons where you just, the basics, like just be kind, be open to everyone you meet, don't have prejudices and the rest will, hopefully fall in place, you know, the world's a tough place, but with those like core tenants, you'll be okay. And even when she was like, she said she didn't want to have kids, you know, right. hope you're not mad, you know, it was really sweet. She's just, I want to create stuff. And as a parent, it's, you know, a good parent, you're just like, we just, that's fine. We just want you to be okay. I don't know. The whole, the way he framed that with the flashback into him, just staring dead into <laughs> the hole in his chest was stuff. Yeah. It was good stuff. He knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah, that was a powerful moment.
0: What did you guys think of the reporters in this volume? Our favorite independent reporters who are actually a gay couple, <laughs> who are hiding their identity, who got threatened with being outed, who got oh, yeah. one of their sources murdered, and we're going to transubstantiate their other sources mm-hmm. Robot, Petrocore, and Squire. Into new fish people bodies. They're from Jetsum. Are they Jetsamians? <laughs> They're Flotsam.
3: <laughs> I've never been a huge fan of these reporters. They struck me as kind of there, just
0: kind of there. Yeah,
2: I thought that before these three volumes. I actually thought they took like the biggest leap for me as far as like interesting characters. And I'm actually excited for Upshear. He's this one who's still alive, right? To kind of join yeah. that yeah. family and have a, more of an impact especially since he's in mourning i mean you have a lot of people in mourning him alana petri all together but i think i think he's going to play an important part in hazel's development going forward i was more invested in them than i was as mr anderson said in the earlier volumes i kind of i just wanted to get back to other stuff but i really enjoyed having them involved with the family
0: i like the quote you can be a writer or a pacifist but not both
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. that was good yeah I agree. Um, once they like were becoming part of the fold, they were more interesting and I didn't dislike them as much. I think one of the reasons why I really disliked them before was sure I was so protective of this family unit and they were a threat to them and I was like, you get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right. But now in, in this volume, like they were actually helping to protect the family unit. Uh. Yeah,
0: what? you don't
2: think so because uh, they. I to don't tell think their they story. were
0: helping to protect the family unit. I think that they were trying to get their story out there, and they were trying to ignore the larger political conversation that the story was happening within. I mean, and that like ignorance of the actual independence of their newspaper and that their like actual ability to isolate people and protect them was fatally flawed.
1: I'm not talking about like necessarily their entire arc and uh, portion in this volume, but at the end, they were in the end, their acts were to protect that family unit.
0: But I think it's only because of their acts that they were able to be found in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Upshur, I think it was Upshur or Doth, talked to Marco about that, where he left that guy alive. Marco did, and because he left that guy alive in like the first volume. They were able to talk to him and start their yep. towards towards it. If, you, if Marco would have killed that guy, yep. sure and them never would have found the trail.
0: Multiple people have blame.
2: Yeah, so I wouldn't have laid it all at their feet. And if you remember, in one of the volumes where there, I think Doff, yeah, definitely was Doff, said no story is worth dying for. And it comes back around where he actually is willing, he does eventually will, is willing to die yep. to protect the Hazel and uh, her whereabouts
0: i'm just thinking of prince robot's screen when he was like please don't please say no like this story will be the end of us please say no. the story will be the end of us <laughs> yeah that broke my heart just that screen and then yeah the reporters seeing that and saying yes but they also said
2: because didn't one of them have a conversation with petrior we're saying like do you actually want to go through with this type of thing where i feel like they weren't super you're right they I agree with that scene where he saw that and probably should have said, uh, I don't think you're on board, but they did bring it up again. I don't, I don't think they, they did. ignored the signs.
0: I don't think it was one of the reporters though. I think it was someone else.
2: Oh, uh, was it? Okay. You might be right.
0: Yeah. I think it might've been like Squire or Alana or, or Hazel, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I think it might've been the Hazel.
2: Yeah. It is a good point. Oh, are you talking about the conversation
3: between like Hazel and Squire?
0: No, between Hazel and Petricor talking oh, about okay, right, right, right. abandoning her body for yeah. a Jet man. One,
2: I do remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, the reporters. I think they were. I think there's some journalistic integrity that was in play that they either failed or passed with that story. I think
0: that there was some journalistic idealism at play, hmm. and yeah, there was definitely a failure when their like editor was getting threatened by Gale.
2: I <laughs> Gale. I would read uh, a side comic of Gale and the problems they have with their phone,
0: uh, whether it's, <laughs> it's iconic, Gale on that cell phone. <laughs> it takes a screenshot every time I touch it. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: thought a robot's stuff. Def- robot and Marco, definitely. I thought their arcs were pr- like pretty complete. Um, Maybe Robot and a slightly different way but Marco definitely Doff I don't think so but I thought it wrapped up so well it was done so nicely that I wasn't uh, too
0: upset I am truly sad Sad and angry about Doff
2: yeah I think it's gone too soon but the way they did it again like I said dying for the story and I think it's going to be character development for Upshur for better if that's I don't know if that's great writing but
0: (laughs) the letters for the issues had a lot of complaints about fridging hmm of characters being Slug. killed to propel a male character on their journey character,
4: uh, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking
0: that specifically female and queer characters <laughs> it's a history a lot of them are drawn again I think everybody's dying in this series personally <laughs> so I give it a bit of a pass because it's not yeah. the only queer characters it's not because most of these characters have queer aspects to them Yeah. yeah. there's been a lot of death been a lot of death, and a lot of it happened in this volume. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but you know who's not dead, Goose. Hazel. Of course, she's not dead. But Goose.
0: <laughs> Hazel is the only one I have some confidence in <laughs> not dying before the final arc of the series, or at least Definitely
3: before not. she can write down all of her uh, comments that she've made so far.
0: Yeah, just okay. watch. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be another. Yeah. I- Scenario where like oh yeah you, <laughs> you died several thousand years before the start of this movie what was
2: the best gust moment him in a hawaiian shirt him playing chicken. oh my goodness he's so cute <laughs> <laughs> or him with the pajama butt flap that fell back <gasps> after COVID-19. oh my goodness <laughs> it
4: was so good
0: him with the buff lap. But the cutest moment <laughs> was him and Squire going hunting. Oh. But I think that that was in the previous uh, volume. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that creature.
2: <laughs> That's yep. funny when Squire... I think this was this volume, though, when Squire uh, offered him the bow and arrow, and Goose was like, oh, my arms aren't really built for this. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um.
1: Speaking of Squire... Oh, boy. This kid wants to go back to the robot kingdom like
0: wants to see his mom
1: is it because oh yeah no he knows his mom is dead he wants to see her her Yeah. yeah and it's it is kind of interesting because like there are a lot of parental figures in this family unit but he still has this feeling of i guess a void that he wants to fill
2: yeah compared to hazel she at least had her parents a mom and uh or two parents it doesn't have to be a mom and dad but two parents raised her for a certain age from the start he was kidnapped by some monstrous robot guy and then was essentially raised by goose and robot for a little bit and then and Robot's and gone them. for a long period and friend <laughs> no, yeah so I think it's kind of a tumultuous way to be raised, to be honest with you. I mean, I would love to be raised by Goose, but it's not, I can't imagine Goose and Robot were very copacetic during that time or very <laughs> co-parent, you know what I mean? So it was mostly by his dad. I think he was missing another familial figure kind of to raise him. I think it seemed traumatic. I mean, it definitely... And the fact that yeah. the Will called his dad a killer. It was like, you know,
0: kind of puts a spin on I mean, it. Also just his name. Squire. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not a very traditional robot name, I don't think.
2: Yeah, he even crossed it out in his note. Wrote princeling.
1: Princeling. But yep. that, that yeah. kind of the thing It's like, I don't think we get a lot of building blocks for his motivation of wanting to reclaim his title of princeling. It kind of just no. was put out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's never had, like, friends. Like, Hazel at least had that dance class for a while, and she had jail. And, right. like, I hate to say it, but those were better environments probably than what Squire was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She also had Isabel. Right.
0: Just, just to socialize.
1: Yep. Oh, you're right. Yeah,
2: Isabel, too. It's just a good point to have those. Just so many, as, tumult- as, like, hectic as and dangerous as Hazel's life has been, she's had all these people that have been there for her and experiences yep. and groups, you know.
0: That she had the art point. teacher.
2: Yep. Oh, God bless her. Mm-hmm. She was great. I miss her already.
0: <laughs> I miss her too. She was nice. I hope we see her again.
2: <laughs> Me too. Me too. One has to take Mark's place. <laughs> so wait, can I ask a question? So the will, is he redeemable? Or do, is from now on, is he just going to be like a true villain going forward?
0: Oof. Redeemable? No. But can he be better? I think so.
1: I want him to get the tragic death that he deserves as a character.
0: <laughs> I also want him to get the tragic death that he <laughs> deserves. Like, I want him to do something redeeming with his death, but not be redeemed. Right.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure he's heading in a redeemed redec- uh,
0: direction, really. No. I'm concerned that we're going to have him for the little long haul. Yeah. <laughs> good
3: that seems to be
0: distinct possibility <laughs>
2: it's interesting again like all, he has so many like women in his life whether it's sophie his sister Lioncat, gwen and now even yanthe
0: how many of them can die to give him motivation
2: well seriously look at his motivation he's at the end when we see him when he confronts them he's skinny he's a competent freelancer now and he's cleaned up he's a professional it almost is like i think yanthe said when he escaped like oh no i released a monster and she did. She like kind of kick started him out of whatever slump he's in. And now he's he's I mean, he's in a killing mode, but he's like less of a mess than he was previous. Like he's in a murderous way. But seriously, he's like a even though he's been kicked out of the union, he's a great killer now. Always was. It's weird what the i I'm just saying, like women have an effect in him. The women in his life always have better or worse. And she's part of that now. Yep. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. When he showed up, he was just skinny. I'm like, Oh, wait, what happened to all of that?
0: You mean when he showed up in his bondage year? Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. And his cape on. He he put his he put his hat, his little hood on
0: there yep. too. Interesting. After his journey through the center of the mind.
1: Yeah. Everybody <laughs> knows that. I
0: love that trope.
1: Yes, we do. <laughs> I think that it is pretty masterful how the creators of the series were able to take characters that well, particularly with like the will at the beginning of the series we we had sympathy for him. We, like we were we found positives in him but as the series progressed the opinion of this character became more and more negative and prince robot was like on the opposite where you know he was like seen as the villain
0: i mean he, he was had very
1: how, yeah how very... many
0: people did he just offhandedly kill at the start of this right. <laughs>
1: yeah. which i mean we're seeing the consequences you know come to pass for what he did to the stock now. But at the end in this in this, you know, first half of the series, it's like, oh, his death actually like we're mourning his death. So mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful character building and storytelling, I think. Yeah. Because it's actually believable. Like it doesn't feel forced.
0: Also he was consistently funny. Yeah. Oh I'm gonna miss his Oh my God. You don't even know. Here he was <laughs> yeah
1: and that's the thing about a lot of these characters it, it, it's not like just like you have one or two like token you know jesters in in the series mm. like a lot of these characters are very funny and humorous
2: mm-hmm. yep. most of them i would say even like marco and alana when they're together when they're yeah doing things i mean they have funny moments together yeah. outbursts <laughs> You know, it is funny when you say that about Prince Robot, too, because the last thing he theoretically does is offer to give up the whole family to say, you know, even though Marco says he doesn't believe he's like, you're going to save me even after I just try to give up your family. He's like, I never believe anything you say anyway. And that's yeah. again, Mar- Marco seeing the good in everyone. He doesn't. you know.
0: Also, I think it was true.
2: It's just interesting. Like, to the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the end, Robot kind of. I don't know. You just always wish. Like, like you said, Penny. Even though he just tried to give up Hazel, we still warned him getting his head ripped off. Fascinating character, Robot. Really.
0: I was really worried that Marco was going to get mad at Robot, and then he didn't, and I was, I was happy. So it was the was, correct reaction because they've yeah, been living together true. for a long time. It showed that buildup of trust. Yeah. yeah. Even if it showed it by saying, "I don't believe anything that you say anyway." <laughs> trust him always to lie. So. <laughs> Okay, so I think that takes us well past our normal recording time, but we had a lot to say. Oh boy! Anybody got any last words before we wrap this up?
1: Who wants to read the novel that uh, or novella that Marco <laughs> was writing?
0: I mean, of course. So
1: when's that yeah. getting published?
0: Has to go through a few they drafts. We have to find like a ghostwriter to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's dying next?
2: <laughs> Patrickore. I don't. I hope not. Out of, like, the main crew, you'd say? Anybody. Anybody.
3: I don't want
1: Goose to die. (laughs) (laughs) He's the dude
2: that's holding the series together. Frendo already had a close call. They almost ate him as food. (laughs) He's he's on the chopping
1: block. Not Hazel. Oh, there there is a Goose, like, an official Goose stuffed animal. I saw that. But I, I have to say, I'm not just from the product pictures it doesn't look that cute oh. it doesn't look like good quality so if anybody's listening and knows of a better one let's
2: did you see it at the back of the volume yeah that's what i saw too i'm like hey should a grown man buy this
0: <laughs> i don't have a good guess for who's gonna die next but i'm going to say up yeah
2: okay. i was thinking about that too
0: when do you think alana is going to die
1: don't think she will. It's happening. Do you you think don't think she, she will, Panda?
0: Definitely.
3: I think she definitely dies. I think eventually this becomes completely uh, Hazel story. So I'm assuming at some point Alana's going to die.
1: Huh. Okay. I do think the grandma's going to come back. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have we have a whole nother half of the series. So there are going to be new characters introduced. We do. And I'm looking forward to who those will be.
0: I'm going to say Alana dies in volume 14. Fourteen,
2: yeah, I was gonna say same
0: thing. All right.
1: Hmm. Oh, volume. Because we gotta get a lot. Okay. Yeah,
2: volume four. We gotta get a lot of her as an older adult, like her like twenties, and 30. so I don't. That's so I don't think it's gonna be like volume seventeen. A lot of dies. I think there's gonna.
4: Yep.
0: She'll be a semi adult by the time she gets off. To-
1: you mean Hazel will be a semi adult?
0: Yeah, sorry, Hazel. Okay. So I think we should call it there. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Thank you, Craig, for loaning us this corner of his media empire. Thank you, Horizon Brave, for getting all started. Our intro and outro music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Bye, everyone. Bye. Till next time.
1: So how are we going to cover the rest of this?